This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. In November, a mobile COVID-19 testing lab arrived in a neighborhood in the city of Juarez, Mexico, just across the border from Laredo, Texas. A large advertisement on the mobile lab read COVID-19 tests at 50% discount. Dozens of people lined up to get tested for the coronavirus, paying 1,000 pesos each, or about 50 US dollars. But it was all an elaborate hoax, perpetrated by a cartel. From FreightWaves, this is Long Haul Crime Log, a podcast about the dark side of freight. I'm Nate Tabak in Toronto, Canada. I'm Clarissa Hawes in Kansas City, Missouri. And I'm Noy Mahoney in San Antonio, Texas. Today on the show, <clears throat> today on the show, we're looking at how Mexico's criminal gangs are using the supply chain to cash in on the COVID nineteen crisis. Well, Mexico is quickly emerging as the early epicenter for criminal activity surrounded surrounding the co- coronavirus vaccines. In December, Interpol sent out a global alert that organized crime could be selling fake vaccines as well as planning to steal real vaccines during distribution. Uh, In a recent article in Mexican newspaper Millennial, uh, Raul Sapian Santos, president of Mexico's National Council for Private Security, said, quote, organized crime has already set up fake laboratories in the states of Jalisco, Tamaulipas, Chihuahua, as well as Mexico City, in order to falsify the coronavirus vaccine. So, so no, who are these cartels that, that are doing this? Mexican authorities believe that there's probably going to be more than one involved in either stealing vaccines or, you know, distributing fake vaccines. Uh, the big one is Los Zetas. They're one of the biggest cartels in Mexico and one of the most dangerous. Some of the other ones are called Familia Michoacana and Jalisco Nueva Generacion. Those are cartels. All of them sort of operate in different territories in Mexico. And, uh, you know, they have their own turf that they guard, you know, very violently. So, so, this is all happening as the Mexican government, like governments across the world, are trying to distribute COVID, real COVID-19 vaccines to people. That's correct. Mexico has uh, a national vaccination plan. That's the actual name of their program. And they've promised make vaccinations free of charge across the country to all, you know, 129 million uh, Mexican citizens. So it's a really big deal in Mexico right now. Is it surprising that the cartels would be trying to kind of carve out their own piece of this this larger public health story? Nothing the cartel does at this point should surprise anybody. Uh, if, if they can find a way to make money. It's sort of like the American mob. If they can find a way to make money off of anything, they do it. You know, two cockroaches racing. They, they try to find a, a way to, you know, take bets on something like that. You've got cartels kind of running their own schemes. What, what kind of challenge is this also? Is this presenting also a challenge to Mexican authorities to actually 
distribute uh, legitimate medical supplies and services to areas uh, that may be controlled by cartels? Yeah, that's correct. You know, cargo theft, uh, you know, from freight trucks is already a massive problem uh, across Mexico, especially in certain states, certain highways. And so now you have this vaccination plan where the Mexican government will be entering, you know, for the first time in years or even decades, regions of the country that are controlled by cartels, you know, armed cartels. When I say controlled, you know, they control the roads, they control the highways. So the Mexican government has, the Mexican government will have to go into these territories to try to, you know, provide free free vaccinations for people. We're in the early stages, I think, everywhere of of COVID-19 vaccine distribution. Are we seeing any issues yet with sort of the government trying to get vaccines into these areas? There have been unconfirmed reports of, in Mexico of um, vaccines being stolen from hospitals. And I haven't been able to confirm that, but the Mexican army or, or people in the Mexican army have reported that. Uh, but as of yet, you know, they just started rolling out the vaccine in Mexico, I think, last week. So it, it ha- it's not widespread yet uh, in terms of their vaccination plan. But I think in the coming weeks, as it goes on, we're going to start to hear more about, you know, crimes around uh, the vaccinations of people in Mexico. Does the Mexican government have a plan to regain um the citizens trust in, in that it's a legitimate vaccine that they're receiving? What I've seen happen in the past few days, states in Mexico, like, you know, the state of Tamaulipas, the state of Jalisco, the governments in those states are buying their own vaccines separate from the Mexican government, the national government. And they're saying to their citizens, you know, you can trust us. We're going to roll out the vaccine on our own. So you have this really confusing situation in Mexico where the national government has their vaccination plan. And now you have individual states in Mexico who are saying, no, we have our own vaccination plan. You can trust us. So I think to me, that sounds like more confusion for the general population. And like you just brought up, how is that going to help their trust situation in getting vaccinated for the coronavirus? Is it going to be, is it difficult for just ordinary people to even tell the difference between whether they're like dealing with the government versus say dealing with a cartel? You know, based on some of the early incidents that I'm reading and and hearing about, I think it is, you know, that incident that happened at Juarez, Mexico, uh, that fake lab looked completely legitimate and it had, you know, a Red Cross sign on the side of the van. It had a Pfizer, you know, sign. Um, according to the, the young, a young woman who was interviewed uh, by Oscar Baderas, he's the person who wrote about this incident in a magazine called Amiquis. A girl named Ana Lucha said she paid, you know, a thousand pesos for a test at this lab, giving the doctors a saliva sample, her name, her home address, you know, her vital information. And she's quoted as saying, you know, I'm not easily fooled. I'm an educated person. But these guys had everything. You know, they had hundreds of test kits from Pfizer. They had freezers, tubes, syringes, gloves, you know, the whole truck transformed into a lab. And she wonders, you know, who has the money to to fake something like this? And obviously it's the cartels. I mean, they have, you know, all the money and all the time to come up with a crime like this. And if they can do this, you know, what else can they do as the vaccine keeps getting rolled out? 
And how did the reporter first that, um, you know, that reported about this, how did they first discover that this was a fake lab? Um, I believe what happened was, you know, he contacted the local, the, the city of Juarez, or I think it was the state, the city of Juarez is in the state of Chihuahua, Mexico. And he contacted both those governments, you know, the city government and the uh, the state government. And both of them said, no, we, we didn't send any labs to this neighborhood. And that's when the Mexican police, you know, the authorities of that city said, you know, we believe this was a cartel operation and that they smuggled most of the supplies that was used in that fake lab. They actually smuggled it from the U.S. into Mexico, you know, the fake test kits, the fake medical supplies. So it's kind of ironic that the the the, the tools used to fake all of that was brought from the U.S. into Mexico. I wonder if there if there's any other cautionary tales here, even, you know, for places like in the U.S., vaccine rollout is slow and you have in some cases people really desperate to get it. Does it make you wonder if this might be something that could that could be happening elsewhere? Uh, definitely. It's happening in other countries. You know, that that alert sent out by Interpol, you know, was for, you know, Europe. It was for China, it was for Asian countries. It was for South America. And I think. You know, you, you brought up a good point. Even here in the U.S., there are a lot of people who are desperate to get vaccinated. So, you know, you have to be aware of who's giving the vaccination. Is it an, is, is it an official, you know, government institution? You know, you have to really um, pay attention and, and check and be aware of where you're getting the vaccination from, because it could happen anywhere, really. I mean, it could, you know, anybody could be fooled. Speaking of fraud... On a February 5th, a uh, bookkeeper is going to be sentenced after uh, pleading guilty to an elaborate scheme to defraud a family-owned trucking company and farm in Missouri of more than $700,000. That's a lot of money for a family-owned business. It is. And, you know, there's been a pattern over the years where, you know, when I've covered these cases where it's a family friend or it's a loyal employee, a long-term loyal employee that you never would suspect that that they would be involved in these type of situations. But in this case, um, she had, you know, the access to all of, you know, the family, you know, the family knew her and uh, trusted her with all of their finances and just, and it went on for two years before they realized that, you know, that she had charged more than $500,000 in credit cards made out to, you know, the, in the names of these, this farm and trucking company and that she had forged signatures on, on personal checks. How did this get exposed in the first place? That's the, the thing, the weird thing that they don't mention because I did reach out several times to them, you know, to the family to to try to, you know, to get a comment or quote and and no response. And in in the like in the court documents, they only refer to them by the initials. Um you know, but if you do a little digging, you know who um you know, there aren't very many trucking companies in New Haven, Missouri, you know, and this is my hometown that this happened in. I know the family um, that this happened to. Well, 
Well, I was, I, you know, it was really hard to decide to do it, you know, because, but it had to be told, you know, I, I couldn't, I had to put that my personal feelings aside from my professional, you know, feelings and job and cover it. Nobody was suspicious in your, in that town when, you know, these people were buying, you know, diamonds and new vehicles and going to Packers games that didn't, nobody's eyebrows got raised a little or. That's the part that I question as well. And I did reach out to several friends about this. Um, case because I, you know, I haven't lived at in that town, you know, in 30 years, but I, you know, I just wondered, you know, with, you know, driving new vehicles and, and in a small town, everybody knows everybody else's business. Yes. And so that's what I was you know, red flags were, were everywhere, you know, when, you know, like when I, you know, was reading the details in the case, but that, um, you know, it, nobody within the family and within, you know, that close knit community suspected anything. Uh, this also sounds, sounds also very familiar um, with you know, some of the other, other kinds of fraud cases uh, you've, you've reported on at uh, trucking companies throughout the country. Yes. And, and, and it's, you know, trusted employees that had been there for a long term, for long periods of time that, you know, have access to all of the information. And in this case, um, you know, Kristen Schulte, she actually had locked the owners out of their own accounts where she only had the passwords, um, you know, that she, I mean, she had changed the password. So she was moving money around to kind of cover the scheme so that when they got statements, it appeared that there was money in the accounts and in some cases. And, you know, she did this for a, a period of, to almost or more than two years where she um, had had access to all of the financial information and and was trusted. What kind of sentence could result from this? It's been delayed twice uh, because of COVID and also, you know, to, to put her family, she has three small children and, you know, trying to put her affairs in order. But she faces 20 years in prison um, up to and a million dollar fine. Um, And she is, as part of the deal, she has to pay restitution, which, you know, once she is, once she is sentenced and released and everything, it, you know, she will be, or she's ordered to pay it back. How did, how did this fraud actually affect, uh, affect the company? The farm has closed. Um, their, I, I recently went to um, their page and it's and it's per, it says permanently closed. So it really shut down the business. You've been listening to Long Haul Crime Log from Freight Waves. We really want to hear from you, especially if you have a crime story to share. Um, write us at crime at freightwaves.com. You can find all of our episodes by searching for Long Haul Crime Log on your preferred podcast provider, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like what you're hearing, leave us a review and tell your friends. 
Tune in next week for more stories from the dark side of freight.